Hello and welcome to Women Who Protect, a monthly series as part of the Ontic Protective Intelligence podcast. In a profession largely dominated by men, we spotlight women working in a wide range of positions within security, protection, and law enforcement. We will hear their stories, discuss their accomplishments, and also seek their advice for women and girls who might be interested in a career in protection or security. I'm Dr. Marisa Randazzo with Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. After nearly three decades of experience working in security and protection, as the chief research psychologist at the U.S. Secret Service, and then in the private sector providing security guidance to corporations, educational institutions, and high-profile individuals, I know firsthand the immense value that women bring to this field. And I know the challenges that we face. I look forward to sharing with you the stories of women who protect and hope they inspire other women and girls to consider joining our ranks. Now, on to the podcast. Today, we have two guests joining us to discuss what security professionals need to know about human resources to ensure they have a complete view of their risk landscape and to figure out how best to partner with their human resources counterparts. First, we're excited to have Melissa Muir, Director of Human Resources and Organizational Development for the City of Shoreline, Washington, returning as a guest to our podcast yet again. Melissa is an HR professional committed to building strategic partnerships between security and human resources to reduce threats and to strengthen the health and safety of organizations. She's also been a leader in the Association of Threat Assessment Professionals for more than a decade. We are also joined by Nikki McLean, a Regional Director of Human Resources and Administration at Garter World Security Services. In this role, she oversees over 20 managers and coordinators and 2,200 security guards. Nikki's training extends to emergency management, crisis intervention, and de-escalation, and she works closely with the leadership team on strategic development and applying quality management principles. Nikki and Melissa, welcome to Women Who Protect, and Melissa, welcome back. Um, I want to start off just to set the stage for our listeners today. This is something a little bit different from how we normally proceed at Women Who Protect. For those who've heard our podcast before, uh, you know that we focus on women in a wide array of careers and, and positions within security, within law enforcement. We talk about their professional journeys, and then we talk about advice they have for women and girls. But today, we're going to do something a little bit different. I happen to have the wonderful opportunity of working with Melissa Muir and through Melissa meeting Nikki McLean and hearing from both of you your incredible experience coming from a human resources perspective, getting to work with security and getting human resources professionals and security professionals to work together. So that's going to be the focus of what we talk about today because it's such an important topic, one that I know has challenged so many of my colleagues in security and in law enforcement. But as we get into it, to, to really set the stage for this, I want to start first to hear from each of you 
what your experience has been like working with security and or law enforcement. Coming from an HR perspective, but first, Melissa, a quick a quick synopsis. Uh, I know everyone here should have already listened to and, and memorized the, the podcast episode that I did just with you. But in case they haven't yet, just a quick reminder of how you started working with security from your background in HR. Sure. So I've been in HR for more than 25 years as a kind of hands-on practitioner and about 12 or 13 years ago was involved with a difficult separation uh, that involved some safety concerns and it brought our security and HR kind of a little tension around that and resulted in, I think, one of the best outcomes I could imagine. First of all, the separation went uh, smoothly, but also got involved with threat assessment and threat management. And the, all the ways that HR, who I refer to as upstream, uh, kind of security adjacent, but, you know, we're hiring the people that eventually might be placed, you know, employees of concern, onboarding them, but all of the roles that we play where we can really partner with security has been a real focus of mine for the last 10 years or so. Great. So you came to this from a a, a difficult um, employee termination or employee separation. I think that's that's really helpful. Nikki, how about you? I understand you've got a, a background in policing first before moving to security. Is that correct? Yes. I actually came from 20 years in uh, law enforcement industry where I had experience with a little bit of everything from courts, HR, the civilian side, patrol side, a little bit of everything over those 20 years, which is one of the phenomenal things about uh, policing that you can try so much. And through that experience, I really hooked into the HR aspect of it. I don't come from an HR education side, but it was really more about the human performance, team building, what influences our behaviors. So that very much intermingled between policing and human resources. Uh, My curiosity about all of that really came to light. And then uh, three years ago, I transferred industries from uh, law enforcement over into uh, private security, and now I'm an HR director because of all of those interests and the impact that I really want to have on the industry. So it's all come together, and through the operations and the HR, you can really um, want to establish that collaborative side of things. So. That's where I'm going. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Um, And so I want to really dig into this because I had the chance to talk with both of you at a threat assessment conference, the the KTAP, the Canadian Association of Threat Assessment Professionals um, in the fall. And one of the things we started to talk about and I thought would be wonderful for us to discuss here is the challenge in getting security professionals and HR professionals to work well together. There are some, certainly some corporations, uh, some associations, some organizations where those two departments work well together, but many, many where they don't. And I know you each have have seen this on the front lines. So I want to dig into, first of all, what are you seeing? What are the types of, of obstacles, challenges, miscommunications that, that you have seen? And um, Nikki, let me start with you. 
Yeah. One of the big issues that I've seen is it's kind of two different mindsets between operations and the HR support services side. So I view it as operations is kind of that very middle. So HR is kind of the beginning and the end of everything, of a whole career path. But that mindset and some of the struggles that we've had is just the operations is a lot of firefighting mentality, right? It's that in the moment, how do we fix this? How do we move on? And then that's it. Whereas I think something that we're really trying to push forward is how do we fix this so it doesn't keep reoccurring? And that's where having that involvement with the HR side of developing the personnel and ensuring the training and being able to have those conversations that are open and transparent and really leaving the ego at the door, so to speak, right? So that's something, <laughs> I, that's definitely something mm-hmm. that we encounter quite a bit. And you have to have people willing to be, to step into that room, leave the ego there to really be able to dive in and fix those problems. Um, so that's a lot of the issues that I've encountered. And then working with a great team that wants to move forward and do those debriefs after the issues, and then try to figure out how to fix the actual problem itself. <laughs> to get those egos checked at the door. Yes. <laughs> and let me back up for a second, because I think it's important. We, we're all talking about this as if it's a given and that it's important for security and, and HR to collaborate together. Melissa, let me ask you, first of all, do you think it's important? And if so, why? Oh, it's it's... It's so critical because I think in many organizations, security is not always um, the most resourced uh, in the organization. And and often they're not called upon until there's a crisis and then, wait, where's the plan? Um, And and HR struggles, too. So as, as support entities, right, we're not revenue producing on either side. We are so much stronger together when we can not just combine resources, but really, again, going upstream, when we can partner to prevent things, those are issues that security would be, you know, stretched to to respond to. So I think it's critical just from a resource standpoint and also from uh, a partnership and prevention standpoint is where I think we have the most impact. Well, and I think that's really important, too, because as we, you know, my background is as a threat assessment practitioner and researcher from Secret Service and then consulting to private corporations before joining Ontic. And one of the things I've seen is oftentimes we stumble in our ability to try to prevent violence because information is caught in silos, whether it's the HR silo or the security silo or from a manager of a department that people know things that would be really helpful for the rest of the team to know or the rest of the organization to know for those who can take some action on it, but they don't. So that's one of the, one of the challenges that I know has plagued a lot of organizations, even as they stand up threat management teams or a threat assessment capability is how do we <clears throat> how do we get people to start sharing information and, and check those egos at the door? So, Nikki, I want to turn back to you. What what have you seen worked or an example of a strategy you've used to to get people to start to to play well together in the sandbox, as it were? Yeah, I think a lot of times is pulling from previous experience of what hasn't worked, being able to use that as an example as to why things need to move forward. Um, we've had 
issues in the last couple of years, especially with the pandemic. People are even more so working in silos. Um, I think, although on the flip side, there is more communication with um, over social media and everything else. So it's trying to get ahead of things. But I've really tried to use those previous examples as to why we need to change, why we need to adapt our approach and really engage people. Um, putting in some process, basically some quality management principles through that. We've had some issues. Like had, uh, I had a recent issue that we had almost the exact same problem occur and they started going down the exact same path of not creating the same awareness of what's that initial after a major crisis happens of letting the appropriate parties know, having that quick meeting where everybody touches base. And then, so you have your operations manager or director, you have HR, you have health and safety, you have all the appropriate parties in place. So then it can start the facilitating from there, right? Um, So it was really letting everybody know whether it's going to become a media issue, whether we have to let the clients know because it's Mm. a security breach or whatever it is, there needs to be that everybody kind of needs to know where the filtering comes in their their, um, kind of area. And then going from there of checking on the actual individuals involved. Um, I think if there's follow-ups that need to happen, if there's injuries, whatever it is, but you need to have not too many individuals, say at the most five in that initial meeting. And then you almost have to have a file coordinator. That's something that we didn't have in the first major crisis um, that occurred. We didn't have a file coordinator that happened because I wasn't involved in it. And now I'm trying to, as HR, trying to now fix it all after the fact and get all the fallout, like the basic cleanup, right? Of So I'm like, hey, if this happens, because we know that these situations are going to keep reoccurring because that's the way it is, a file coordinator, somebody take notes. Okay, when were decisions made? Who's following up? It's trust but verify that things are actually going to happen, right? And you need to have somebody that can track everything of what the big parties are doing. That's a really, it's that's a fascinating observation because it's about um, having someone, one person kind of own it, not necessarily deciding what to do, but making sure that what decisions have been made by the group, by that small group or larger group, whatever it is, are now followed up on. Um, and it's interesting because we see this on the prevention side in the field of threat assessment where, um, you know, if, if, okay, we are concerned that that this person that we're about to terminate is is going to become violent at the termination meeting or after the termination meeting, come back and do harm. Here are the steps that we need to take to mitigate that risk, to prevent that harm from occurring. But it sounds like you're saying we also need one person to make sure those things got done and make sure that everyone who essentially who takes an assignment away from that meeting accomplishes the assignment and then you can document, yes, this was done or it wasn't. And so what's have the group reconvene to figure out what else can we do? If we can't do that one thing we thought we could, what's our second choice? What's our backup plan? Mm -hmm. It's applying a little bit of major case management to situations where there's clear roles and who's doing what and who's accomplishing what follow-ups. 
But a lot of times, find organizations don't actually put that into play until they're forced to because they have an example of when something went wrong. So that's that prevention matter of you need to actually clarify if there's a crisis, who's going to be doing what? But we really missed that tracking piece of it. So now we definitely have to have that in play because that's something that is easily followed by the wayside. I think it's so important to underscore the need for a position like that. And I will tell you that I've worked with a number of organizations who who would give pushback when I'd give recommendations like that in training. Well, we can't afford another FTE. We can't afford a dedicated person. And if that's the case, then you can decide in the meeting, all right, this for this case, for this matter, this team member is going to be the, the case manager. They're going to sort of carry the ball to make sure we all get things done. So there's a way to, there are ways to do that without having to, you know, hire someone into the position if, if that's not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Melissa, let me ask you this. You have, you and I have talked before, and I want to throw this question out to you and then ask you a follow-up question. Do you think security professionals and HR professionals speak the same language? Um, not yet. because I am an optimist to the core and I talk a lot about the difference between no and not yet uh not yet and and I was thinking as as Nikki was talking about kind of case management my perspective on it is is, uh, she's got all the right things and I think it's that relationship and trust building right Mm -hmm. we're we're focused on gosh at the end with this employee leaves and there's a last minute call to security to come in and we're all doing it. We're not speaking the language in that crisis moment. And that's when some of those tensions rise. The way we speak the same language is to be talking to each other more often and to mm. be building those connections and relationships far be- you know, long before that crisis, right? And maybe that after action steps in that case management is keep talking. And and if you'll humor me with one example, yes, please. a two-part example. So at the ONTIC Protective Intelligence Conference in Austin, which was awesome, um, I had a chance to talk to somebody in a very large organization who had shared a kind of sad story about the relationship between security and HR. And at the event, shared a postscript positive. So I want to go from dark to lighter if I can. So the original was there was an employee, this was in one of the retail uh, organizations, and the uh, employee's co-workers had reported that they were frightened by this colleague uh, who had made very physically threatening statements to several colleagues. And Uh, security started researching and looking at this employee and identified that uh, unbeknownst to the company, he had not reported, he was a registered sex offender. And to make matters worse, in his uh, file photo that was available, he was wearing a company logo shirt. Uh, And so they raised, hey, there's some concerns with this employee and there's, there's some patterns and some things we think are valuable to be looking at as a team sent that to HR, and a a day or two later comes back a very strongly worded email, and now everyone in legal and the heads of HR and the security manager's boss were all copied on it, where they said that the misbegotten, one of my new favorite words, uh, (laughs) actions of security had put the company in liability risk. 
So security thinks they've done this great thing. And HR is like, oh, my gosh, what are you doing? Right. And and the tension that resulted from that became kind of representative of the stressful relationships. So is there information sharing? Absolutely not. Right. Those silos got harder. And the after story was that as a result of that, they really started trying to meet more regularly, talk, understand the concerns. How did this happen? How did how did what we thought was a great move get viewed as such a risky move? Um, and one of the things that happened more recently was an employee who had left under adverse terms had uh, challenged and was very, very, very angry, uh, grievance, which I've used as an example of a word that security and HR use very differently, but was really aggrieved by a $156 health insurance claim that they felt the company was responsible for. Went back and forth and HR said, it's not true. And security was like, could you pay it? We think that $156 is a really big deal to this very angry employee. Anyway, as a result of kind of these ongoing conversations and trying to work together before, they found a way to pay the $156. They rounded it up to $200. The employee thanked them and the issue went away. And for me, that's an example of how you learn to speak each other's language, sometimes through awkward interactions. Um, But just building that relationship, building that trust so that when you get to those matters and you get to those cases that we really have to manage carefully, that we have an established trust and process. Long story. Thanks for letting me share. No, great stories both. And and, and I love the fact that you got a follow up about, hey, how th- these are, this is how things are, are going better now. That's always so wonderful to hear. Um, I wanted to ask you for to tell it another story too, because you've shared with me just a great example of how you have established good working relationships with security professionals with, within your various roles. And what's coming to mind is your description of a, of a trivia game. Tell me a little bit about that, because I want to Use it as just an example of how you can get that conversation started. Sure. Um, for us, there's a lot of emphasis, I think, at the onboarding. When we're bringing those employees on, that's when we're setting, here's what our culture is. Here's who we are. Here's your responsibilities as an employee. And we realized that security was almost an afterthought. We spent more time on dress code. For goodness sake, it's 2023, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, why are we talking about dress code, right? But we talked about things that were, in the scheme of things, relatively unimportant and something as critical as your responsibility. And certainly with hybrid workforce, we're seeing everywhere what what security risks there are in so many ways with employees, whether intentionally or, or inadvertently. And so we looked at ways we could bring security in day one. And frankly, we're spread pretty thin. We're hiring a lot of people. It spread the workload on the HR side. And so one of them was we did an online uh, Jeopardy game and we gave security one column. And it was so much fun, right? Some of it was around um, physical security. Some of it was around cyber stuff. Some of it was just fun things like, did you know who who your security people are? Something about them. But by bringing it in up front and having them visible 
there while we did it, it, it made it kind of fun. It shifted the emphasis to things that really mattered, security and less on things that mattered less, and established from day one that they're a part of this team that you're working for. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you a little about Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. In a world of safety, security, and protection, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. That's why we created the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. The center is a trusted resource for those in the security, safety, and protection communities. We share strategies and best practices insights on current and historical trends, and lessons learned through dialogue, discourse, and alternative analysis for some of the industry's top practitioners. Define blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more. Check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co slash center. There's an organization we worked with uh, and I heard one of the things that they did during COVID when, when we were in real lockdown and, and they had no employees on site at any of their locations, they started to get individual questions uh, here and there about home security issues. Um, you know, tell me about video doorbells, like what home security system should I have? And so they decided to make almost like these little video vignettes um, th- that they would send out to all of their employees, you know, here, here is Randall in one of our security um, professionals, and he is going to do a review of the three top video doorbells. And so there's Randall having a discussion here, are these three options, and here are the pros and cons of each. And, you know, here's where you can install them in your house. And so it gave, first of all, gave practical information around safety and security for people to be able to apply in their homes. But at the same time, put a face and a name to their security staff and has had follow-on benefits that they never anticipated. Um, so that organization has really found like, hey, the more we can humanize our security staff to HR and to everyone, the more the more willing they've seen their employees to reach out to Randall and security as opposed to a general security email address or phone number when they've got a concern about something. Something that we've done recently is we have, it's actually done through Microsoft Teams and it's called Connect, where all of the security officers actually have access to it. It's an app that they're able to download because everything's done by apps nowadays. And we can, they can reach out to anybody, HR, they've got the quick access to everything. But one of the big things that we really enjoy about it is they can actually recommend coworkers for like, they can do um, merit awards and make actual recommendations. They can make referrals. It's building that connection is a huge thing that we're really missing. And HR is directly involved with operations on the oversight of it. And then we can also reach a lot of our remote workers too, because we have workers all over. I'm in Canada, in Vancouver, Canada, but we have workers in little tiny towns that are 200 people in Northern BC. And it's a big that connection piece of creating that openness and having those conversations when there's questions of getting to know them because I'm never, I'll probably never meet somebody who's in 
that's a 15-hour drive away from where I'm located, but we can connect over Teams and they can ask questions and all that. So creating a lot of those different types of connections, I think, is key of having your frontline staff, having HR, having operations, scheduling everything else. So that's a big portion that you're not just waiting for an email to come in kind of thing or during work hours, right? Yeah, uh, that's that's a fantastic example because it really is about sort of proactive outreach, but but in the service of kind of overall employee well-being and feeling like they are tied in with what the what the organization's doing. They may be working remotely and remotely remotely <laughs> as you're describing. Yeah. Um but 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 to have a way that they feel still feel connected helps with all kinds of things as well as just sharing information that's so critical to this. Absolutely. And then we can even reach out if there is something major that's happening. There's a big protest or something going on in a major city. We can immediately reach out to everybody and say, hey, situational awareness, here's, remember your training that you had, and it may have been a year ago or six months ago or something, and send them out the documentation and send them out quick contacts if there is anything that happens, obviously. So there is that connection uh, that's also preventable as well if a major protest happening in the city or something like that, right? So those connection pieces. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a great resource to highlight too. That's really, really helpful to hear. Let me ask each of you, if you were to have a security professional come to you saying, I'm struggling trying to establish a connection with HR within our organization, what, what should I do first? What's the best outreach? We've talked about kind of what HR can do, but what for a security professional who wants to develop or improve their relationship with HR, what would be one piece of advice that you give them? Melissa, let me start with you. Putting you on the spot. It's okay. I, I, it's one I thought a lot about. So I, I will say, I, I say it over and over again. So I humor me if I bring curiosity over judgment, right? Bring curiosity rather than judgment. And the judgment we have, right, is... HR won't give any information. HR always says no. HR calls it the last minute, whatever that is, right? Fill in the blank. And rather than come into that judgment, come with curiosity. Hey, HR, what's happening right now in your world? I know it's been hard to recruit. What are your challenges, right? Bring, bring some curiosity about where I'm at and what's happening for me in, in the world of HR, because it's changing very quickly in the last few years. And I'm guarantee that that conversation will identify some ways we can partner together. Just asking a few open questions are going to open the doors to all sorts of things that might not have crossed anybody's mind about ways we can do stuff, again, further upstream. And so it sounds like that should be proactive as opposed to waiting until you have a crisis where <laughs> where, some, where you're handling a, a potentially you know, dangerous situation that, that you know, the sooner the better, it sounds like, would be a, a good time to do that outreach. And I would say the same, of course, to HR, right? Like, yeah. come to security. <laughs> right? So it's not a one-way street. I just, you're asking from the perspective of security. I think both of us, what we can do far better is learn more about what's happening at any given time and not assume that where we were a few months ago is where we are right now. As I said, there's so many things changing right now and, and different pressures. Nikki, what about for you? What piece of advice would you have? I would say 
involve somebody. If, you, if you're coming from security operations side and you have weekly operations meetings, invite somebody. It should be the right person, um, but it, invite somebody from HR to that meeting. And then just ask them and set the expectations beforehand. Say, you know, we just want you to hear, uh, to listen. And then I'll ask you if you have any, like, a two-minute update or something on what issues or struggles there are, whether it's union or hiring or whatever it is. Then, then there's, it's starting to do the relationship building from there is just including an individual, but it needs to come from an open side on both ends. So HR needs to know that they're there to listen in the meeting and they can provide feedback to the individual afterwards that invited them to that meeting um, if there is something, but be open, I think, and willing to engage. Um, But yeah, listen would be a big thing and include that individual in just a meeting a week, start small and build that relationship from there because you're really trying to build the trust, right? The engaging in honesty and transparent communication, that takes a while to build that trust. So I want to ask an, another question. And Melissa, you and I have talked in our uh, previous podcast episode, I had asked you, is the relationship between HR and security doomed? And you assured me it wasn't. And and I have absolutely seen progress and, and believe you. And I asked you a little bit earlier about kind of, the, do they speak the same language? But I want to get into the specifics around the language that, that each department speaks, because one of the challenges I've seen is that there's often a lot of technical terminology or jargon within security professionals and and law enforcement as well. And then same thing within HR. So how do we help them to, to understand what they're hearing in those meetings? So if a security professional comes to an HR meeting, an HR professional comes to a security meeting, how do we even start to figure out how they know what they're hearing? Um, I've got a couple thoughts on this. So let's see if I can put it together and articulate it. I, I think some of it is we've forget when we're in our world, often, for example, in acronyms or others. And I joked um, recently with a group of uh, largely former military, I was like, you know, I walked around for a year saying, well, I got five because they kept saying, I've got your six. And I had no idea what they were talking about. And I was like, well, I got five. I mean, like, literally, I was, right. And so I, and I think that's true in all of our languages. And I think the way at least I have found is just to make it safe to call it out, right? And just to say, hey, you're coming into our meeting. We may be using acronyms or other things and and not even aware of it. Raise your hand or, you know, free chocolates for any, you know, for each one you call out where we forget to explain (laughs) it or something, right? But put, put some incentive around it. Well, chocolate goes, I think, works well in all audiences. (laughs) But that idea of like making it funny to point out that I had no idea what you're saying, right? And then HR, whatever, you know, HIPAA, FERPA, ADA, you know, ADA, right? We we have enough acronyms to compete with yours. And 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 I think it's kind of fun. So one of the things we did was we I gathered all the acronyms that were unique to our city and we put together a fun kind of matching quiz for our new employees. And it was 
it was kind of shocking. First of all, we have acronyms that have very different meanings in the real world. Um, we have SWAT, like SWAT team, but it doesn't mean anything like that. It's a public works term, right? But that idea of like helping people understand, building a little glossary and sharing um, and making it fun and making it, again, safe for the person who's the outsider relative in this relationship to 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 say that they don't know without them feeling uncomfortable or hiding or going for a year without realizing, oh, that's what you mean. And I would share more embarrassing ones, but the list goes on. There are many, many awkward ones. I was just going to say, and and to a point here, I want to I want to put this into practice because for our listeners who are interested in the field of security but don't know what I got your six means, what did you find out that it meant? It meant that. I have your back, which I also like, like. It means I support you, and and I think if you looked at a clock, there would be something about a six. Right, it's sort of facing the other direction. Like if we're facing <laughs> at the twelve, exactly. Yeah. It's a little confusing. <laughs> but I was like, how on earth would I have guessed that? Like there was like, and and I have done that with many military terms, and I do a whole section on the words we use, and I think within the military and law enforcement. There are very violent terms and there are very specialized terms that are incomprehensible, right? Like when you sign your email, V slash R, you have lost me, right? You have <laughs> lost me uh, and I don't have any idea what you're saying. So just that that language thing. And one that came up just very recently um, is the Gallup poll on happiness. Yes, Finland was happiest sixth year in a row. Moving on. <laughs> um, but, you know, the third and fourth, right? So um, food insecurity and uh, unrest and the economic turmoil with it are tough too. But the third is loneliness, right? 300 million people don't have a single friend in this world, right? One in five people cannot count on somebody else in a time of need. That's, that's staggering, Right. And then you have the fourth one, which is misery at work. And 20% of people report being disengaged, uh, miserable at work. And another 50, 60% are detached, I think, detached. And right. so those numbers are things. But I thought I really drilled into the, the term misery because Gavin De Becker, who Antec has kind of highlighted on security, has made a pretty compelling argument that misery is the number one pre-incident indicator of mass violence. So if you have one in five people miserable at work, and misery is directly connected to security concerns, right? So I'm, I'm concerned about it from an engagement standpoint, because if people are engaged at work, they are not miserable and they stay longer, right? But that, to me, is a, a word, misery, that is used very differently. And that, what an incredible opportunity that is for our silos to be working together because we're both concerned about it from very different perspectives. We may use that word somewhat differently and yet the connection is so real to the safety we really are trying to build. And I want to highlight here, because I think it's a really important to underscore this, that, that what Gavin DeBecker was talking about is that it is not a inevitable predictor. So miser someone who is miserable is not absolutely going to become violent and, and kill their coworkers, right? They're, but that one of the things that underlies 
violent behavior, particularly mass violence, is someone who is feeling miserable, despondent, hopeless. And there's so much that security professionals can do. There's so much that HR professionals can do to identify people who may be feeling that level of misery, despondency, helplessness, hopelessness, and have resources to address that and to help them solve that underlying problem. And I think it's uh, seeing that that this is such a, a common concern and a shared responsibility across HR and security, I think, could be one way to, to really help help foster that communication as well. I think that also points out the importance of having that engagement with HR is if you see your coworker, there's just something off about them. You've worked with them for a couple of months and you've tried. They're just not responsive. Well, having that relationship with your HR team, somebody that's in there that you trust and that you can follow up with to, and it's not even maybe HR, I think a big thing would be not necessarily singling that individual out, all depending on the actions that they have, but maybe creating a group session or something or so that there is a little bit more awareness, whether it's your health and safety, working directly with HR on an anti-bullying campaign or something that just to be able to reach out to that individual so that they don't further feel singled out on. But I think that's also incumbent on everybody because HR is not out there every single day. A lot of times they're behind the closed doors or well, I never have my closed door or my door closed except for right now. But <laughs> it is, they're not... HR is not out there in the field all the time. So there needs to be that openness and the communication so that somebody in the field actually knows who they can reach out to in order to avoid it going down the path that nobody wants to see it go. Well, and I think, Nikki, there there may also be a misunderstanding about what does it mean if I reach out to HR? Is that going to get my colleague, my co my friend into trouble? As opposed to, can I reach out to say, I'm worried about this person? And I've tried to kind of connect and I'm not sure. You're not necessarily reporting them in order to get them into trouble. And that there's a lot that HR can do that is not disciplinary and is support focused. Yeah. One of the things that I try to get across a lot of times to my account managers is what's the actual root of the problem? You see that this hmm. individual out there, a security officer say, he's always late or she's always late for their shifts rather than implementing discipline. Well, have that conversation actually find out why. And maybe that manager can get some tools from their, their HR team in order to figure out how to have that conversation. If and, and then HR can kind of watch from the sidelines a little bit and provide some guidance because they don't necessarily have that relationship with that individual. So that's something where I've said you know, a lot of times, well, have you actually asked them why they're always late, why they've been late three out of the last five days? Do they have a new baby at home? Mm. Did their bus route change? Like, what is it? Like, have that conversation rather than implementing that immediate discipline warnings or letters or I think that's something that will also breed a relationship between HR providing those tools and that guidance to your managers to be able to have those conversations. Yeah. I, I just want to support that. I think been saying a lot, you know, our frontline 
supervisors are really where we can make a difference in the organization, right? HR and security, we're, we can't be everywhere. We're not on the ground watching what's happening. I've been kind of advertising for a long time. If you want help with a challenging conversation, come practice, come get some tips. So this person shows up uh, about a week ago and said, okay, I need some new tools for my toolkit. I'm having trouble with a colleague. <laughs> And I said, okay, so this is a former Marine. And I said, so what tools do you currently have in your toolkit? He's like, well, push-ups and yelling. <laughs> and I said, okay, those are two tools. Let's talk. Anyway, so we went and it was so funny because I was like, okay, well, I think maybe you make an observation in the meeting. This happened, a feeling I felt uncomfortable when this happened curiosity question. I'd, I'd like to hear more from your perspective about what was happening, right? Statement, feeling, question. So very literally, he writes down statement, colon, and then practices, and then question, <laughs> feeling, question. Well, he gets to the thing. He's going to do it in two parts. We rehearse it. His first start was, why are you so passive aggressive? Like, That's <laughs> oh. one way, but okay, let's let's keep going. Let's try it again. So we just keep going. To, but he goes into this, to this conversation and starts it. And the other person says, no, let's have it right now. I'm, I'm curious. And spoiler alert, it went really well. But in the middle, he said, I'm really nervous about this. I haven't had a conversation this way. So if it's okay with you, I'm just going to read. And then he read <laughs> statement. <laughs> and the vulnerability he showed was so kind of welcoming that the person said, well, actually, I thought you were really a jerk in the meeting and I reacted to this and and identified something. You know, so I guess what I'm saying is that's an example for me where HR can play a role, where we can do stuff. And hopefully that's a situation that never escalates to one that becomes the one that security and operations are really worried about, right? It's one conversation at a time that we can try to make a difference. Push-ups being another backup. <laughs> and now I have that as a tool in my toolkit, and I had not thought about that before. Uh, I, I think it's so important, but your example that you just shared really helps to emphasize two things that I think are so important within sort of fostering connection across departments like security and HR, the threat assessment work that we were talking about, having teams of people from different departments to try to figure out if someone might be violent and, and how to stop them from doing so. That the example that you just raised really helps to illustrate that in any of those interactions or conversations, I think it's so important to bring humility and humanity to that. And it sounds like what you were describing with the practice was, you know, you got to, get to help build a whole new set of tools for his toolkit. And that the fact that this, this person then went into the conversation and admitted in the conversation, I'm nervous. And so let me read from this, that, that makes it so human in the moment. And, and it's not you versus me or my department versus your department. We're human beings together, stumbling through and trying to figure it out together. And I think that humility and humanity can be such vital components to all of this work. That's so profound. And, and, and it's two part, right? It's, I'm showing my humanity. I'm doing it in a humble way. And also, what I kept saying to him is, you thought about this all weekend. You've been stewing on this. It's going to it's gonna show up at some point. It's going to leak, right? If you name that right up front, 
I was really frustrated last week in the meeting and I really wanted to get your perspective. It's gone, right? Like if you can say it out loud, it takes the pressure off. It's not lurking to jump out and leap at the wrong time. So it not only brings you down, it demonstrates, as you said, that humility and humanity. So it's it's a really powerful tool. What if we just, I don't know, talk to each other? <laughs> exactly. Sometimes it, a lot of when you're having those meetings, it's energy matching as well. Then then you're not creating the great divide, right? Where you're creating a situation where there is that that opportunity for some vulnerability where you can they can recognize their strengths and their challenges, where their weaknesses are, so to speak, right? But they're trying to seek feedback for self-improvement so then they can help others. Like an individual that comes to you and is seeking that, okay, I really want to follow up with this, but help me out here. Where can I further engage so that we have the clear expectations or so then we're so that our whole team is aligned on what our vision is, so to speak, right? I think really recognizing that and acknowledging that, that's a huge win from an HR perspective of your supervisors or managers. Like, I would love to have a whole team of people who can recognize that and want to work on it, right? Like, that's, mm-hmm. there's some pretty phenomenal opportunities there. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's so, just as you're describing it, I think one of the things that, that is also really important for HR professionals to understand about a lot of professionals within security, not all of them, but a lot of them. Um, It's really hard to admit, I don't know something. If you're coming from a security standpoint, you may have had a background in, in law enforcement. You may have had a background in military. You may have come right into security, but they are seen typically in sort of broad brushstrokes as the problem solvers. I know how to do X. And and they may not, or they could benefit from a chance to practice. I mean, I love the, like, come to HR and practice those difficult conversations before you do. Um, and I, I had one, it, one example came to mind that I had to coach a security professional to go in to have a conversation with someone who had threatened to engage in some type of mass violence. And so I wanted to to practice with them before this particular colleague was going into this very tough conversation. And what I found out as he as he was sharing what he wanted to ask, he wanted to come across with a very empathic approach, which I thought was great. But his first question was, "What's wrong with you?" And I said, <laughs> "How?" I said, "I said I understand what you're trying to get at, but how about you you make it shorter? How about just saying, hey, what's wrong?'" Is there something wrong? Tell me what's wrong, not what's wrong with you, because that puts someone on the defensive, but just tell me what's wrong. Tell me what's going on. I want to hear about it because the more I know, the more I might be able to help. So it can be just a chance to practice. Tough conversations can go sideways quickly and and both security and HR don't want that to happen. So I love the idea of just emphasizing above first and foremost, come practice with us and, and we can and we can help you through better phrasing or tell you, yeah, you're on the right track. And you're going to learn from your mistakes more than the successful examples, right? So those are the mistakes that you've had or what you're going to remember. And if the mistakes are in a safe place where it doesn't matter, your odds are right. I, I said like very few people are born brilliant communicators, right? They got there by practice. 
They got there by doing it. So practice, you'll get better, right? Guarantee. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you bring in your notes to the conversation, which I think is one of the funnier things of all time. I thought no no scenario did I think he would read verbatim and, and yet it worked. Right? <laughs> and, and admit being nervous that 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 I absolutely loved. Um let me ask each of you, is there anything that we haven't had a chance to touch on that that you wanted to share as part of this conversation? Nikki, let me turn to you first. Um, I think a part of being open, and as I said at the beginning, is the checking the ego at the door. And that goes for both males and females, because I've encountered both. Um, But definitely having an open perspective and building that relationship management with your teams really if, if a team is willing to change and adapt and grow, if you have even one individual come to you, well, that door is cracking open, seize the opportunity, but have a lot of patience with it too. So, I think you both covered lots of things. I guess I would say kind of bookending, we talked a lot about there's, there's, a, there's some interactions at the beginning when people come on board and, and at the end, and there's so much rich experience, you know, employee experience in the middle, that's where I think we really can tap into the the force multiplier, right? The the advantages of working partnering together are in those middle ones. We we we've figured out some of the stuff at the beginning and the end. It's the middle that we really uh we really can tap into and do better with. Yeah. And if we do better with that middle part, that's going to help in the long run with our retention, which we all know right now with the labor market across North America, we all struggle with it. So utilize those tools that are provided to you in that middle, like Melissa said. And I think that will make a huge difference in the long run. Well, and increasing retention and and, and reducing misery at work <laughs> and actually making people feel, you know, happy. And, and, and that helps as you all have both educated me that that's a, a key factor in, in, in retention and, and longevity for employees is feeling like they have some connection and, and enjoying what they do. The last observation I just wanted to share, because you both strike me as, as people who meet this term are wonderful examples of this term. Years ago, I had a chance to um, work with Hank Stedman. And, and one of the things that he talked about in the field of, of sort of violence risk assessment and, and these multidisciplinary teams is looking for someone who's a boundary spanner. That's the term he used. Someone who speaks both languages, who speaks HR and speaks security and and employ those people to help foster these collaborations and, and build these bridges across departments and, and help people to speak each other's language. And I feel like you are both shining examples of being boundary spanners and, and bridging the worlds between HR and security. So I wanted to thank you both for serving in that role and thank you for sharing these incredible insights today. And, and um, Melissa, I absolutely believe now the relationship is not doomed. It actually can thrive. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This makes me very, very, very happy to hear. <laughs> so, so thank you both for joining me on Women Who Protect and for sharing these remarkable insights and, and inspiration today. Thank you for having us. It's been our pleasure. It's just delightful to have time with you again, Marisa and Nikki. You are doing amazing work. Yes, you both are especially. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. 
Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Roll the Dice and was written by Mark Wallach. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcasts at ontic.co or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. Thanks for listening.